0: students keep saying, I want something I can touch. I want something I can do. And I'm always telling the interns, when I teach interns, I always say, don't talk so much. Teachers talk so much. Talk, talk, talk. And the students are just sitting there. They're very polite. They're just sitting there. But just because you're talking doesn't mean they're learning. Just because you give them a worksheet to work on doesn't mean they make the connections of real life. So you just have to be honest with yourself as a teacher and saying, did I really get through to that student? Did they really understand Pythagorean Theorem? Did they really understand the purpose of Pythagorean Theorem? And for me, it was often, no, no. They didn't really understand it, the purpose. They were just being nice and sitting there quietly and doing what one of my old bosses, Larry Meyer, would say is they're just doing seat time. They're just sitting. And here's the thing. I either get out of teaching or I make it relevant. To me, that's the only options here.
1: Welcome to Season 5 of the Teacher Collaborative podcast. So, this season, we're rotating hosts, so you get to meet different members of the Teacher Collaborative team.
2: My name is Diana Lebeau. I'm Senior Director of Programs at the Teacher Collaborative.
1: In Season 5, we're going to focus on change makers. We'll hear from teachers who have led change and hear in their own voices how they navigated the ups and downs of doing things differently. Today, I'm
2: talking to Benedette. Manning. Welcome, Benedette. Hi, thank you for having me. Yeah, so before we get started, I want to just give you a chance to introduce yourself. Tell us what you teach, who you are, and a little bit about yourself.
0: Let's see. I'm a math teacher, Boston Public Schools. I've been a teacher here in Boston Public Schools. I think I started in 95. I am the mother of four and a grandmother of one. What else? Yeah, I love math, obviously. (laughs) I'm a triathlete and a swimmer.
2: Wow. So first of all, before I dive into the actual contents of today, I have to say, how do you find time to train to be a triathlete while you're teaching?
0: Oh, I only train at the end of school. <laughs> oh, wow.
2: Okay. <laughs> but,
0: but actually right now I'm training to become a lifeguard. Okay. And I do that three times a week. Wow. Okay. Because I'm really frustrated with the number of people who were dying last year. That's unnecessary in my mind. So. They need more lifeguards. They need more swim teachers. So I thought I'd right, do that in the summer. We'll see. But it's not easy becoming a lifeguard, especially when you're in the later years of your life.
2: <laughs> well, that sounds great. It sounds like you're always quick to jump onto things that are valuable. Okay. So we're here today to talk a little bit about your kind of most interesting thing that I think you shared with me, or at least the one I'm the most curious about, because <laughs> you've been part of you know at the edge of trying to innovate and make change for a long time in your career, but. I'd love to hear a little bit about your work with Bees in the Classroom. So I'd love to start just by having you tell us what exactly you do involving bees in the classroom and how that all got started. I think it was 2005, 2004.
0: Okay. It actually got started when I went to a coalition of essential schools professional development in New Orleans. And the last day that I was there, my colleague, Dr. Goh, said, you know, there's a talk tomorrow about bees in the classroom. And I said, how would you have bees in a classroom? (laughs) And she says, we're going to have bees in our classroom. And I said, okay. And I remember agreeing to it. The next day, we went to the PD and we met two people, Jeff Murray and Janera. And I don't remember her last name. She was at Mission Hill School at the time. They had a beehive in the classroom. The thing that was stunning to me is that Jeff lived in the same town that I lived in, even though we met in New Orleans. Hmm. Yeah. So they did this whole talk about beehive in the classroom, and I still didn't know what they were talking about. Like, how would you have beehive, bees in a classroom? I I just couldn't figure it out. But when I got back to Boston, I went to visit Janera's classroom, and I saw how you could actually have bees coming through a hole through the wall, and you have a hive that's stacked on top of each other, The supers stacked on top of each other, now I'm using that bee language, and you can see right into the hive with plexiglass or regular glass. So a person can walk up to the hive and see the activity in the hive. They can see them dancing, there's the bee dance, they could find the queen, wow, they see the workers, they see the drones, the boy bees come in and out from the outside. So this is their home and we can see in it. And then I saw what they meant. And I said to my colleagues, yeah, let's do that. Let's have a beehive in the classroom.
2: Was this when you were at Boston Day and Evening or were you elsewhere? No, I was at Fenway High School. Oh, Fenway High School.
0: Yeah, I know. It's odd, right? It's something else. Because I had been teaching this math unit. The curriculum is Interactive Mathematics Program. Some people call it IMP. And the unit was called Do Bees Build the Best. I had been teaching that over 10 years. Wow. So that's the connection I made. I said, oh, I'm already teaching about bees and mathematics. Why don't I bring in actual bees? So whenever we're talking about bees, the students get up. We go to the back of the classroom. They can touch the glass. They feel the activity. I get out my magnifying glass. We can see the hexagonal prisms. Over time, I learned to weave in the mathematics and the actual bees into the lesson.
2: I'd love to hear that. How do you connect bees to math?
0: Oh, well, bees build hexagonal prism, and there's a reason why they do that. The hexagon is the largest area of any sided polygon. Okay. So a square, we investigate a square, and we investigate any regular polygon that has the same side length. Square, and then we go to the pentagon, and then we go to the hexagon, and we analyze the area of each of these shapes. The hexagon is the largest area that tessellates. In other words, the hexagon fits perfectly together and there's no gaps. Oh,
2: okay. That makes
0: sense. I say to my students, well, you wouldn't want to walk on the floor and there's holes in your floor at home, right? Actually, the circle has the largest area, but a circle would have gaps. If you put circles together, you're going to have gaps.
2: Right. They don't connect in the same way. Mm-hmm.
0: So it takes us weeks. It's very actually high quality mathematics. We talk about this problem for weeks and we analyze all these polygons. I mean, the people who wrote this curriculum, I wish I could say I did it. I didn't. These people wrote this curriculum. I just think it's brilliant.
2: But you brought it to life. You made, you made the learning connect to something real for the students. That's great.
0: Oh, yeah. And, you know, the thing is that students are generally city kids. They're B-phobic. They're insect-phobic. Anything that's insect related. Oh, I don't like that. I don't touch that. That's nasty. I only teach about the bees for like six weeks. That's just one of my units. But by the end of the unit, they're really used to the idea of insects and that insects have a purpose in life and they're not scary. There's so many lessons to be learned from having bees in the classroom.
2: Have other people been inspired by you to make beehives come to their own classrooms?
0: Well, it's funny thing you said that. We decided, Jeff Murray. Genera and other people since decided to make a nonprofit. Okay. So we have a nonprofit. It's called Classroom Hives. You can look it up, classroomhives.org. And we support teachers to put, they're called observation hives. They're not the regular hive that you see with the white box. Mm-hmm. That's a Langstrup hive. An observation hive is totally visible. We support schools in putting observation hives in their classroom. So, for example, about a month ago, I went over to the Lee School and I'm a consultant now. So I go over and look at the area, look at the room, and I tell them if I think a beehive would work. And We have another hive in um, Hingham. We have one at Boston Green Academy. The Fenway hive is gone when I left. They try to keep it going, but you really have to really be into it, Yeah, right? And then I didn't put a new hive in the school I'm in now because the location of my classroom was not conducive to having bees. But next year, I might have bees.
2: We met each other because you've been part of the Passion to Teach program. And the project that you worked on for that program was also a real-world program, completely different from beehives in the classroom. But (laughs) can you share for the podcast what that project has been about?
0: Oh, sure. We were given the unique opportunity to pick up students at school and drive out to Hale Reservation, which is in Westwood, every day, or maybe three days a week, something like that, and bring a curriculum out there. You know, the first thing is, do you want to go to Westwood every day? Yeah. Do you want to teach something that's going to be conducive to an outdoor facility? And I go, oh. So then I said, well let's build a tiny house. And immediately after I said that, I thought to myself, what did I just do? (laughs) (laughs) I wanted to take it back. (laughs) And they wouldn't let me. I kept saying, oh, I don't know. I don't know. But it worked out. We got a contractor who volunteered his time. We bought the materials. Uh, I started researching tiny houses, the mathematics of a house. What mathematics could we do on the day the builder's not there? And it worked out fine. We built a 10 foot by six foot house and it's out in Westwood. And next year we'll go back out there. And I don't know what's going to happen. My hope is that we will be able to go out there and renovate the inside. Wow. My dream is to have a literacy center because I really love literacy. I really love reading and learning from reading and stuff like that. So that's my dream. But uh, we'll see.
2: You take on a lot of these projects that are significant work outside of just the regular expectations of your responsibilities as a teacher. What is it that keeps you trying out these new challenges and opportunities for your students?
0: Well, students keep saying, I want something I can touch. I want something I can do. And I'm always telling the interns when I teach interns, I always say, don't talk so much. Teachers talk so much. Talk, talk, talk. And the students are just sitting there. They're very polite. They're just sitting there. But just because you're talking doesn't mean they're learning. Just because you give them a worksheet to work on doesn't mean they make the connections of real life. So you just have to be honest with yourself as a teacher and saying, did I really get through to that student? Did they really understand Pythagorean theorem? Did they really understand the purpose of Pythagorean theorem? And for me, it was often, no, no, they didn't really understand it, the purpose they were just being nice and sitting there quietly and doing what one of my old bosses, Larry May, would say is they're just doing seat time. They're just sitting. And here's the thing. I either get out of teaching or I make it relevant to me. That's the only options here. I've done that many times. I still do that sometimes and I'll go, oh, find something real or I even find something that they can touch. Right. I have these cubes that I use and I got this from another teacher and I just love them. And they really help students understand the difference between prime and composite numbers. And I've realized that that is a blockage for many of our students. I just realized that after 28, I don't know how many years now, 26, when it's over 20 some years of teaching, I just realized that. A teacher has to really be honest with themselves and they have to stop saying, well, the kids don't do this and the kids don't do that. The kids are doing what they think they're supposed to do is sit and listen. But are they learning anything? I don't think so.
2: I think you're spot on. I love student-centered learning practices. <laughs> I think often you see this wonderful success at the end, but I'm sure there's hiccups along the way. Were there ever times where something didn't go as planned with one of these big projects and oh. you questioned what you were doing and yeah. you know how did you get over those humps?
0: Yeah, you know, the Beehive project was not easy. We had to come up with ways to make the school safe, We had to constantly sell the idea. We had a whole welcome for the bees. We had a whole assembly (laughs) about bees. It was funny. You know, high schoolers, they can be chatty. And when I said that bees are going extinct, they all quiet down like, what? You know, I knew that I had sold them at this point. (laughs) But we had to go to the district office many, many times and talk about bees. Many people don't really understand bees. I I get that. And we finally ended up just putting them in the school. I kept
2: the beehive in my classroom, I don't know, maybe 15 years. And there's still beehives going into other classrooms thanks to that org. That's great. Yeah, yeah. Do you feel a sense of success? Sometimes the bees get loose. (laughs) Oh my gosh. (laughs) Once in a
0: while, they'll get loose. So we have this whole organization of people. I'm not one of them, but people that go in, beekeepers, they secure the hive if something goes wrong. But the thing about the bees, when they get loose, sometimes only one gets loose. And you have a class of students. This man, there's a loose bee. And it's amazing that they don't all get up and run out. But they don't because they've learned. They've learned. They've learned that. I've said to them, the bees are not interested in you at all. They're only interested in pollination and going to the light. So one time I had about 40 bees get out. That was unusual. And so we moved my classroom to another room while we figured out how to get them back in. But yeah, you have things that go wrong. But the more you know about bees, the less scary it is. (laughs)
2: So after all these really cool things that you've been doing for students, what's next for you? Oh, (laughs) I'm really struck
0: with things like, I don't know, X plus 11 equals 20, right? That's the simplest one I can think about. I'm really struck with X plus 11 equals 20, something like that. And I'm struck with that because students still don't know the difference between a variable and a constant. That's key to algebra. So as you know, I bought about 200 cups, right? (laughs) <laughs> Each cup is X. And so a cup would be X and the 11 would be buttons. I call it button algebra. And the equal sign is a ruler and the other 20 is another group of buttons. I have black buttons for a positive, red buttons for negative. And so I'm just not getting anywhere with just writing this on the board. They're still doing things. When it's like 2x plus 11 equals 20, they're still subtracting 2 on both sides because we have not made it clear to them what that really means. So that's the thing I'm working on now. Some of the things that the Passionate Teachers purchased for me and just how important to understand the difference between a variable and a constant. When I see a problem, I got to think of some other way to explain that problem. Or I'll find someone who has figured it out, some other teacher who's figured out another way to explain that problem, and I'll
2: do what they did. It's worth a try, right? Yes, for sure. (laughs) This has been really great hearing all of your stories. So I just want to really thank you for today. Thank you. And thanks to everyone for joining us for today's conversation.
1: You can learn more about the Teacher Collaborative by visiting our website, theteachercollaborative.org or by following us on social media at the teacher collab that's collab with one l and if you enjoy this show please rate and review us on apple podcasts special thanks to today's guest and to all the awesome teachers out there who show up with love creativity compassion and energy every day thanks to teacher ben truba for our theme music the dusty pencil sharpener and thanks to our amazing producer mijan zulu for translating our vision into a high quality podcast and creating additional music